Over the past several years, we have seen street fights between somewhat political factions. I don't know if political really makes sense because it's kind of more tribal factions, but there have been a couple of years of Antifa versus the Proud Boys, Trump supporters, Patriot Prayer, etc. And these are individual Antifa groups in various areas, though many of these groups on both the left and the right were coordinating for some reason or another. Typically, you'd see a right wing rally. They would say, we want to go march through this place. Antifa would come to defy them. And typically, in my experience, Antifa was instigating the fights, though that wasn't always the case. Now, this was factional violence. And many people thought this would not escalate. Why? Because the Proud Boys, small group, and they're not really that relevant anymore anyway. Antifa, they're fringe leftists, not really that relevant anyway. However, there has been what I can only call an activation, I guess. I have seen on my phone all of my contacts, I've been, I've been getting inundated with messages that people were downloading something called Signal. Signal is an encrypted communication app, which is typically used by the left. And I noticed that many of the people on my contact list who are downloading it were rather lefty individuals. I've also noticed a massive uptick in viewership, not just for me, but for many other YouTube channels. It would seem that regular people are starting to tune into the culture war and what's going on. This could be good. This could be bad. But now the far left has to contend with something they probably didn't expect. Regular people. I'm not talking about the right, the far right. I'm talking about regular people, many of whom may actually be Democrats. There have been, there have been several stories. The first one, a Black Lives Matter protest of 80 people in a tiny Ohio town where just 13 black residents live is overrun by 700 white counter protesters armed with rifles, handguns and baseball bats. My friends, you are seeing the backlash, the backfiring of the far left riots. Regular people, for the most part, don't pay attention to news. And this is a fact that most people recognize, especially if you're a YouTuber, for instance. I mean, how many views do nurse, how many views would a nursery rhyme video get or like a Minecraft video versus something political? Now, politics does well, but it is not the number one uh, form of content on YouTube or in media in general. Music videos tend to get more views. But something is changing. Regular people were thrust into the fray, whether they liked it or not. Now, all of a sudden, they're paying attention and they're not happy about it. In South Philadelphia, a city that is 82% Democrat based on last, the last election in 2016, you had a, a hundreds potentially of armed men, masks, guns, and baseball bats defending their statues. In this small Ohio town, 700 people showed up, rifles, handguns, and baseball bats. These people don't get that politically active. These people are probably not watching YouTube every day. They're not on Twitter. But they saw something in the past couple of weeks. Buildings and businesses being smashed, shattered, and destroyed. That probably shocked them to their core. Peaceful protests. That can ignite a conversation that helps Democrats. Shocking imagery of riots and looting. And it terrifies people. And it's terrified them, ter terrified them to the point where they're actually coming out now. Now, I, I assume many of these people who are showing up in defiance of these left wing protests don't know the difference between a peaceful protest and a riot. All they know is that at the at these Black Lives Matter protests, people started rioting. All they know is they saw looting across the board. These people are standing up in opposition now to the protests and they're doing it with force. I can only imagine that this this, this, this extreme turn shows a sign of what's to come in November. Now, all the polls say Donald Trump will lose. And many people feel, you know, I'm seeing high profile Trump supporters expressing their displeasure with the president. But I have to imagine 
when people, regular people who normally don't care, have to get active and go out on the streets, how many more people are scared and won't go on the streets? How many more have heard about this? And how many more will show up in November and slam that button for Donald Trump because they do not like the riots? Especially when you consider, according to, I believe it was Morning Consult, 58% of registered voters wanted Trump to invoke the Insurrection Act. He didn't do it. Maybe they won't. Maybe they will hold it against him because he didn't. Or maybe they will crave law and order like I have been warning for the past few years. When I actually would talk about Antifa versus the Proud Boys, I said, so long as the far left keeps up the violence, eventually regular people will demand law and order. And as we know through history, these riots result in Republicans winning. But when you've convinced apolitical people, notably in Philadelphia, a blue city, 82% to show up with baseball bats to oppose the far left. I can't imagine these people are going to be like Biden's the guy for us. I want to read for you now some stories talking about how regular people are now rising up and defying the far left. And I want to talk about what this means. Now, you may not have seen it in the news. And certainly I haven't been talking about it in some of my videos, but, but these protests haven't stopped. In Portland, in D.C., in many small towns, there are still active protests, in some instances, active riots, notably in Portland. At a certain point, the regular American breaks and they say, I can't live like this. You have locked us down for months over the pandemic. Then you came and, and cheered for these people to protest and they destroyed my town. These people are now taking matters into their own hands. In, I believe, Portland, a guy just crashed his car into people. I mean, these things are getting serious from the Daily Mail. Black Lives Matter protest of 80 people in tiny Ohio town where just 13 black residents live is overrun by 700 white counter protesters armed with rifles, handguns and baseball bats. They say a Black Lives Matter protest was overrun. Heavily armed white men and women from motorcycle gangs and back the blue groups flocked to the small town of Bethel Sunday shouting blue lives matter and all lives matter and facing off with the small group of village residents who had been demonstrating peacefully, calling for an end to systemic racism and police brutality across America. Shocking video footage showed a protester being surrounded and violently punched in the back of the head by a counter protester in front of two cops who stood by and did nothing. Clashes between the two groups persisted for a second day Monday, leading the police chief to declare a curfew for the population of just 2,828 and several people were arrested. Sunday's demonstration was planned by Bethel Solidarity with Black Lives group as a peaceful affair and was expected to draw around 25 people showing solidarity with the movement to end racial inequality. However, it amassed around 800 people as 80 protesters found themselves confronted by around 700 members of motorcycle groups, back the blue organizations and Second Amendment advocates. The counter protesters, some of whom are believed to have come from out of town, were pictured with rifles, bats and clubs slung over their shoulders while some wore Donald Trump t-shirts. They yelled blue lives matter and all lives matter and allegedly threatened the protesters and ripped Black Lives Matter signs out of their hands. Around 250 motorcycles were used to take over the protest area, area, forcing out demonstrators. Peaceful protesters accused the group of inciting hate and violence, with one demonstrator being punched in the head and 10 incidents now under investigation by local police. Horrifying footage circulated on social media showing cops standing by and taking no action as a peaceful protester is punched in the head by one of the counter protesters. Now, let's make one thing absolutely clear. Peaceful protest is an, uh, is an American <laughs> tradition. 
I mean, protest, even sometimes not necessarily peaceful, is a part of American history. But you have an absolute right to protest peacefully. And these people were wrong to attack the peaceful protesters. The only problem, what does peaceful protester even mean at this point? I honestly don't know. What we're seeing now is a fear and factional violence. And I can't tell you who started what. Now, it's very easy for them to say the protest was peaceful. These people attacked them. Maybe that's true. And if it is, shame on those who would attack peaceful protesters. I seem to recall the video from MSNBC, however, where there was a police station being burnt to the ground while they said it was peaceful. I seem to remember all of these violent riots where they said things were peaceful. They don't seem to want to, to tell you what really is going on. So it's very hard for me to judge who started what. So I won't. What I will tell you, though, is it's unsurprising to me that hundreds, 700 plus people came out and defied this protest group for one reason. They don't know what the intent of the protest is. They can call themselves peaceful, but we just went through weeks of violent riots. At this point, regular people are going to say, no, I don't know. I don't care. Stop. Take a look at this story from the Chicago Sun-Times. Video shows retired Chicago judge swinging at protester after Columbus statue defaced. The encounter, which took place Saturday in Little Italy, came during a heated argument about the Italian explorer and racism. And I warned of this. You know, I've been talking about this escalation for a long time. Some argue that Trump is trying to, he's allowing them to do these things because it'll rile up people to come vote for him to prove just what's wrong with the Democrats. Yeah, sure, maybe. But Trump needs to do something to show that he's strong in the face of these protests. Maybe he is, maybe he isn't. I honestly don't know. I am seeing some people be rather upset. But regardless of what Trump is doing, regular people are coming out of their homes and saying no to these people. Perhaps that is America's saving grace, the defiance and the American spirit. You know, I was often worried that as we see movies, video games, collectible card games ban things because they're racist, they, they, they're they now banning Aunt Jemima, mind you. I, I don't really care if they're going to get rid of Aunt Jemima, you know, to be honest. But I am concerned about history and art. Schools banning Thomas Jefferson in Washington, they're, they're changing the names or tearing down statues of Jefferson. These things actually freak me out. And you know what? I'm not the only one. Regular Americans are defiant. You come to them and smash up their windows and tell them what to think and what to believe. And you know what they're going to say? F you. And they're going to come out and a retired judge will actually take a swing. People won't stand for this. If you force regular Americans to take sides, they will probably take the side of screw you. I mean, that's the American spirit. We're seeing it in Chicago and we're seeing it in these small towns. You know, I grew up in Chicago. I lived on the South Side. And I'll tell you what, man, you show up to a South Side Irish neighborhood, bring in this business. You show up to South Philly, bring in this business. And you'll be surprised to find the people who show up with the bats and the masks aren't Trump supporters. They aren't political. In fact, many of them are Democrats, union boys. And they're going to say to you, not in my neighborhood. But this kind of thing has been, look, just, just kind of getting worse. Portland is where it gets really, really bad. Man arrested after driving car into crowd of Portland protesters, injuring three police say. This guy wasn't a counter protester. This guy wasn't a protester at all. This is a guy who's just driving through Portland. And then he hit some people. Now, it's not crazy. I, I know YouTube might get mad at me for the t- headline. He didn't, he didn't go full speed. It wasn't, you know, it, it, he was slowly driving through and he pushed people out of the way. They rolled up on the hood, fell off. They got injured. Yeah, it was kind of bad. This guy came back, got out of his car, yelled some stuff and then drove away. 
regular people are being forced to engage in this kind of, you know, this kind of conflict. We also saw something rather shocking in New Mexico. The guy got shot. The guy got shot at a protest. And they argued that the guy who, sh- who had the gun was a militiaman. Turns out he wasn't. The local militia actually came to the aid of the man who got shot. But when three people were hitting this guy and yelling, this guy fought back. Apparently, the man who shot was a former city councilman. I'm telling you, regular people are being pulled into the fray. And I believe they're going to overwhelmingly side with law and order. They don't care about your revolution. They don't want a revolution. They want to order a slice of pizza, crack open a beer and watch the game for better or for worse. Maybe it's better that people pay attention to what's going on and they get active and fight back. Maybe it's better that they, they you know, stand up for what they believe in. Maybe it's better they don't. I don't know. But they are. And that's all that matters. South Philly, man, I tell you what. I looked this up. I mentioned it several times. 82% Democrat. They came out and surrounded a statue of Christopher Columbus. And I don't think these guys even know or care a whole lot about Columbus. This is more about you coming into our homes and telling us we can't appreciate art. Telling us we can't hang up a statue. We, 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 we can't put up a statue. Telling us what pictures we're allowed to actually display. What card game cards we can use. Eventually, people say, nah. Look, you want to have a conversation. You want to vote democratically. We'll, we'll, we'll take this into consideration. You want to show up with weapons, bats, ropes, and vandalize our town. We're going to say, no way. And regular people are doing just that. This is actually the story I covered a couple days ago. It's actually kind of shocking. Because there was a left-wing journalist who was filming, got roughed up a little bit. I'm not, I'm not cool with that. But you know what? I'll tell you what. There's a big difference between Antifa showing up to someone's neighborhood, occupying several city blocks, and telling you you can or can't do something, and residents telling you can or can't do something. Look, man, when Antifa tells journalists not to film, when they attack people who hold different views, you see that video of them dragging the preacher through the chaz in, in Seattle? It's freaky. These are people who show up to our neighborhoods and tell us what to do. Now, what's happening, what's happening in Philly is a little different. I understand it's also bad when these local residents in South Philly rough up a journalist, tell him he can't film. That's not okay. He can. But, I, but you have to respect when you go into someone else's home, when you go into someone else's neighborhood. And yeah, that goes for me too. I have covered this stuff for nearly a decade. Okay. In the past few years, I haven't been on the ground, but for the first six, seven years, I was. And I always made sure to tell everybody, When you go into a neighborhood that is not your own, you must respect the people who live here. Yes, you have a First Amendment right, but be mindful of how local residents will react to what you're doing in their neighborhoods. I know this. I covered Ferguson. Now, a lot of people, they would point the finger at me and say, you would go to Ferguson and film things. They didn't want you there. That's not true. We stayed, for the most part, on West Florissant, where the police were were active and there was violence. And when we went into the neighborhoods, we were very cautious with our cameras and always asked permission. We didn't need to. We're allowed to film. But think about what happens when you go to South Philly, you go into their neighborhood and you want to take down a statue. They're going to fight. They they shouldn't hit you, but they're not going to stand for it, man. Over in Seattle, we're now seeing what things are really like for people who don't have access to the police. Everything you're seeing with these people taking matters into their own hands should show you what the, the next wave of no police will be. Seattle business owner near protest zone detains robbery suspect. Police never show up despite 911 calls. Yeah, it's, it's unfortunate because the cops can't show up. The first thing you will see with no police is chaos. The next thing you will see is armed vigilante groups. I don't even know if vigilante is the right way to phrase it, but I guess technically they're taking the law into their own hands because no one else is. That's kind of what happened in New Mexico. 
the militia that was there, they call themselves the New Mexico Civil Guard, wrote in a post they backed off and were going to watch as the protesters toppled the statue. I guess they were there because the police weren't doing anything. But the guy who had the weapon who was attacked and then fought back, the guy with the gun, he was probably someone just, I mean, he was someone showing up saying, I'm going to stop you from breaking the law. When the police don't do their jobs or they're not around to do it, regular people will start to rise up. In this instance, it was one guy. The New Mexico Civil Guard backed off. What do you think happens when these far leftists start showing up to smaller towns like we saw in the first story? It's not just going to be one person. It's going to be 700. What happens when they show up in, you know, a big city or a suburb? It's not going to be 700. It's going to be 70,000. Well, okay, maybe not 70,000. But eventually you're going to get a lot of people saying enough. No way. So maybe 700. I mean, I got to admit, the reason I would jump to a number as large as 70,000 is because you got to think about the 10 million people who live in New York, New York. And what happens when they go up to the you know, northern part of the city and a lot of people are saying, no way. Eventually you get numbers that are massive. I mean, we're seeing protesters in the tens of thousands. 700 people showed up in a town of 2,800. So what does that mean for the big cities? I think it means things are, are going to start getting particularly crazy. Check out this. This tweet's going viral. And I'll tell you what this means, this tweet. It's an image. It's a video of a woman that they're calling, you know, uh, Officer Karen. You making a mistake in this video? The woman rather, I got to admit, I think it's kind of cringe. Not trying to be mean, but she talks about how she orders an egg McMuffin from McDonald's. She pulls up her mobile phone. She orders through the app because she wants to have the food prepared before she gets there. Upon arriving, they tell her that, in fact, her food isn't quite ready and to pull ahead. And she starts to get nervous and says, I don't want the food anymore. Now, a lot of people are making fun of her. They're attacking her, saying, maybe you should quit being a police officer. Maybe you should thought of the, Maybe they should arrest the, you know, the police officers involved in the killing of Brown Taylor and things like that. Listen, man, this is a, a, a woman working for the police department who has nothing to do with anything you're talking about. Every single cop is not some evil villain twirling their mustache. It's just some lady who wanted to get an Egg McMuffin. Now, to be honest, if it were me and I didn't get my Egg McMuffin, I'd be like, I'm going to leave. But do you not understand why she's freaking out? We've had many stories about police having their food tampered with. May all be coincidence. The story in New York, now they're saying that, in fact, the police never actually ingested anything at all. Well, the police still went to the hospital. And the initial report was that they had been poisoned. The police asserted it was intentional. They later said that it was actually remnants of the cleaner from the shake machine. Now, that I, now I think Shake Shack has said there was actually no contaminant at all. Maybe that's the official statement from Shake Shack. Take it, take, you know, believe what you want. Perhaps it's, it's not true the cops drank anything. Maybe they drank milkshakes, their stomach started to hurt, and they got worried. But we heard from two National Guardsmen who said there was glass baked into their pizza. We heard from one cop in Alhambra, in the, basically Los Angeles, they found a razor blade in their food. These could all be coincidental. But you got you to understand cops are on edge right now, which is really dangerous. It really is. We saw a viral video of one cop saying there's a crusade against the police. And because of that, his 10 year career was over and he was quitting. Now you can see this officer. Let me explain to you why she was freaking out and what this means. She ordered her food in advance because she didn't want the people at McDonald's to know that she was a cop out of fear they would tamper with her food. Her food should have been done already if she ordered it in advance. So as she pulls up saying, can I have my food? And they say it's not ready yet. She's probably thinking they're going to tamper with my food right now. Because they should have just handed her the bag, right? You order in advance for pickup. The food's ready when you get there. She was freaking out. 
Now, I, I got to admit, if it were me, I'd carry on. I wouldn't make a video where I'm crying because I didn't get my Egg McMuffin. I probably wouldn't overreact. And if I got the food, I would check it. But she is on edge because police feel like they're under attack across the country. The NYPD union came out and they were furious. You know what? We need police reform. But you got to understand, as police become demoralized and start to resign across the country, what is to come will not be pleasant for the far left, at least as far as we can see right now. Which brings me to my final and my main point here. Regular people rising up and they will not, they will not have the tolerance that some of these officers have. You have complained, yes, about police brutality. You have said it is not right that that cop kneeled on that man. And we agreed with you 100%. Eric Garner should not have died over Lucy's. George Floyd should not have died over having someone kneel on his neck. And there's a lot of controversy around this now rising. Breonna Taylor should not have been killed. And they're not the only ones. There's a whole list of names of people who should not have died. But to assume because of this, every single cop is an evil villain who wants to cheat you and lie and steal your rights would be wrong. And I'll tell you what, man, the alternative should be much scarier to you. The alternative is going to be a bunch of dudes in South Philly showing up with guns and baseball bats. The alternative is going to be a dude who shows up to stop you from, from taking the statue. And when you, when you fight with him, he doesn't use a beanbag. He, use an, he uses actual live ammo and puts you in critical condition. When the police get called, the police start with rubber bullets. When there are no police because they're scared, demoralized, or they've resigned, or they just don't want to come out, you get vigilante groups with rifles. And that's when things break down in the worst possible way. What did we see in New Mexico? If the cops had been there doing their job, maybe the statue would have still come down because many cops have just stood by and watched. Nobody would have gotten shot. They could have come in and broke things up. You complain about the riot police coming in and grabbing people and arresting them. And yes, yeah, sometimes it's wrong. Sometimes the police do it and they shouldn't. I've seen police start the conflict. But you know what the alternative is? When there's no police, what happens when a bunch of dudes show up from the, from, from the local neighborhood, they take their weapons with them and they say, we're not going to give you a warning shot. The police might. The police will fire pepper balls. Ouch. I've been hit in the face with a pepper ball before. I've had a pepper ball shatter because they shot the wall next to me and it sprayed my face with plastic bits and pepper spray. Not fun. Fortunately, I had goggles. I have seen people hit with, with uh, rubber bullets. I've picked them up. And you know what? They walk away. They get some bruises. When the cops are gone because they're completely demoralized or you've disbanded, there will be a period of lawlessness. We're already kind of seeing it with the nationwide riots. And then what comes next is going to be 700 bikers for Trump. Blue lives matter, all lives matter, whatever you want to call it. There's going to be a bunch of people saying, you do nothing, you protest peacefully, you're good. You cross that line, they're, going to, they're not going to restrain themselves the way a police officer would. This guy in New Mexico got charged with aggravated battery. He may actually get off on self-defense charges. If the police showed up, this would not have happened. If the police were there to, to keep things in line, it would not have happened. But you know what? The left is saying defund, disband, or even abolish the police. And in many areas, they've done just that. New York has gotten rid of a 600-person unit reassigning all these cops. We've seen in Los Angeles and New York a diversion of funds. Minneapolis has outright disbanded their police department. And there are many more calls to do just that. So I'll tell you what, I'm, I, I think the far left wants this to happen. They want to force regular people to, to join the fight. But I got I to tell you, man, the right is not the instigator. 
The, the, the right is not instigating this. The right, for the most part, is complaining online to their own detriment. And the left is going out in the streets and destroying things. Eventually, regular people who don't engage in politics will be activated. And I think we're seeing it now. So to bring it back to the beginning, to the first point, I see all these people signing up for Signal and they're lefty people. And I see what they're posting online and they are 100% being activated towards the left and the extremist left. And I then see viewership skyrocketing for moderate and conservative channels on YouTube. People saying no to the violence, people saying no to defund the police, people saying yes to law and order, because that's what we really need. And that makes me realize when you see these people show up in Philly, I don't think these people are Republicans, but I think you just made them Republicans. If they're going to come up and say no to you, if they're going to watch the videos of the Bernie Sanders campaign staffer saying, put these people in camps to educate them, will they go out and vote for Joe Biden? I don't think so. I think they're being forced to enter the fray they didn't want to. And they're going to ask, who is going to do this? Because I don't want to. You think any of these people, you know, these South Philly guys wanted to come out with baseball bats? Or do you think they wanted to hang out with their buddies, have some wings, crack open a beer and, and, and talk about sports or something? It was all taken away from them. Well, now they're going to be given a choice. Joe Biden can fall asleep on the job or you can hire the guy who says law and order. Now, Trump may, may not be doing a good enough job right now, but maybe they don't want to support the left. Maybe they will say, you know what, Trump, please, can you clean up the mess? Once Trump is in his second term, I think the floodgates will break open for better or for worse. And I think this is leading to a Trump second term. It's hard to know for sure, man. I'm seeing, like I mentioned, high profile Trump supporters saying they're not confident, they're not happy. But if these regular people now are confronted with an extremist left, why would they vote left? Even, even if Joe Biden has nothing to do with it. Is he coming out and condemning any of this? Nope. Trump is. And they're going to be like, Trump, please do it. Now, when Trump has, has, doesn't have to worry about a reelection, he's going to be like, all right, I will. And then he will bring out the Insurrection Act. I believe that Bill Barr and Donald Trump, if Trump is reelected, will unleash floodgates that will rain down a torrent upon this country. And again, for better or for worse, I think we're going to see indictments. I think, I think we'll see people get arrested from the previous administration. I think we're going to see a rapid advancement of certain regulations on, on big tech censorship and things like this. And I think you may actually see the Insurrection Act. You may actually see the National Guard and the military be deployed to restore order in this country. Again, for better or for worse. And like I said, two years ago, three years ago, if Antifa keeps doing this, the people in this country will cry out, save us. Donald Trump.
If anybody sounded the alarm that all this madness was gonna come to fruition in the real world, it's you, sir. You were you were the guy. Like you were the one who was saying this is what's happening at Evergreen. And if you don't know, go Google it. Brett Weinstein, Evergreen, and now it spills out into the real world. Just like I said, it was gonna. You did. I did. I you said did. It, I said it in several different places, and. Uh, Pretty clearly, you know, it could have been a tiny bit more precision, but it was highly accurate. You were highly accurate and uh, often maligned and mocked. Yep. People didn't think it was a big deal. They think you're much ado about nothing. You're making a big deal about some kids that are voicing their opinions on things. But what you recognized early on was that there was an authoritarian aspect of it, a forced compliance aspect of it that's very dangerous. Yeah, it's all about force. And, um, you know, I've started to get calls in the last week or two, the people who, um, who mocked me and others, including you, for making too much of what appeared to be college kids going wild on college campuses, some of them have started to call and say, I got it wrong. What do we do now? And actually, I, I appreciate those, those calls and those contacts because really that is the question. Yeah, what do we a, do now to pull it back? Yeah. How do you get the genie back in the bottle? Or as Douglas Murray says, how do you put the brakes on this thing? How do you put the brakes on this thing indeed? Well, I have to tell you, I'm not optimistic. Um, I think that this is actually the people who are catching up to the fact that Evergreen has now spilled over into the world um, have not caught up to the fact that this is um, unstoppable at this point with the current configuration. The absence of leadership is going to prevent us from doing what we should do. And that means that the next set of predictions are far more dire. What is your next set of predictions? Well, I would say we are headed for a collision course with 
with history. I mean, we're really staring at many scenarios that end in some kind of civil war. And while I do think it is still possible to avert that outcome, I don't know the name of the force that gets in its way. That's, it's really troubling. What do you think these kids want? Not just kids. What do, you, what do you think the people that are facilitating chaos, what do you think they want? Well, I think there's some danger in casting them as one thing because right. I think we have several things fused together. And that uh, until you understand what has joined forces with what, you're not going to – there's no way to answer the question. All right. Let's break it down. Okay. So one thing that we're seeing is – and we really have to take this back a number of years to understand why it happened. But we are seeing Occupy 2.0. Mm. Now, I participated in Occupy. Originally, Occupy made a lot of sense. It was a complaint about the TARP program and too big to fail and the fact that the American public was uh, not protected when those who had created the financial collapse were. And that was a legitimate uh, gripe and it was also a legitimate gripe at the beginning of the Tea Party movement. Occupy then morphed into a, an anarchist movement that was just simply hostile to civilization and it became absurd. And so when I say this is Occupy 2.0, this is the anarchist version of Occupy that has now reemerged and it has fused with Black Lives Matter, which, as I've said, lots of different places. If Black Lives Matter just simply meant what those words imply, I'd be on board with it. Um, it doesn't. It means a great deal more than that. And we're beginning to see that in the last couple of weeks. Too. What else do you think it means? Well, let's put it this way. For some reason, it means uh, abolish the police, which is possibly the stupidest proposal I have ever heard. And it's not like we haven't seen what happens when you do that. I've Don't you think it. that that's a, just a fearful response to the obvious police brutality that we saw in Minneapolis? What's the best response? We got to do something. We need to defund the police. And then everyone's like, good job. Great, great first step, at least. Well, no, it's a no. dishonest presentation. And I'm concerned that there, as I've also said in many places, the proposals that are coming out of this movement are quite foolish. The strategy is incredibly smart. And so that is confusing to people because when you hear folks in the street demanding that we abolish the police, you think, well, okay, that's never going to happen. If it even started to happen, it would be so complex to make it happen that it can't possibly be. They just need to blow off some steam. Nope, that's not right. The fact is the police in some places can effectively be halted in their tracks. And really, if there's one most important lesson out of the whole Evergreen fiasco is that the police can be withdrawn from a situation and chaos takes a matter of hours to emerge, which we're also seeing in Seattle. Yeah. Um, the defunding of the police, which is happening in Minneapolis, what are they doing in replacement of the police? Well, I don't know. And I will say that the thing that is trotted out as the example that tells us that defund the police, which doesn't really mean defund the police. It means abolish the police. We are told that that's safe on the basis of something like the Camden example. Well, Camden just, they, they, they sort of broke the police down, but then built up a new version of the police, right? Yeah, they shifted it to a different jurisdiction. And look, I'm not arguing that we don't need massive police reform. And frankly, I'd be up for a discussion of a total rethink of the way we do policing. But the idea that you could withdraw the police first is 
absolutely insane. Mark Lamont Hill had a uh, a very good point about the guy who was killed. What what is the gentleman's name that was killed in the drive in drive through uh, fast food place? Richard, is that how you say his name? Um, who was just drunk and compliant and peaceful until they were telling him they were going to arrest him. Even said, get me an Uber. And what his point was, it was a very good point. Why were the police even called for that? This is a nonviolent person who just happened to be drunk. Was he doing something he shouldn't have been doing? Yes. But obviously compliant, polite, speaking just like very reasonably until it escalated into this tussle. And then he lost his life. If they had just had some sort of a program where they could, we're going to park your car, sir, or we'll have someone drive your car to your house, we're going to call you an Uber, or we're going to take you home, and we're going to just write you a ticket and work this out in court. You're not going to go to jail. You don't have to be arrested. You don't have to be handcuffed. You don't going to be treated like a monster. You fucked up. You made a mistake, but you're not a bad person. You're not a person who's trying to hurt people. The police should be there for robbers, murderers, rapists. That's that's what we need the police for. And this is another n none of those things. This is just a guy who fucked up and he got drunk. And he and then as they were speaking to him, clear, real clear, not a bad guy. Like the way he's talking to the cops, just talking to him very reasonably. Even asked for an Uber. Well, look, I am no fan of this aggressive style of policing. No. I'm not a fan of the militarization of the police. I've actually, I mean, I've had run-ins with the police. I've been hit twice by cops. So it's not Wait, that What I, happened? Uh, well, one of these is a long story that goes back to um, my first research gig in Jamaica. And the other one was uh, I was participating in a protest. I mean, I was very young. I was probably 20. Um, and there was a protest about homelessness in Berkeley. And frankly, it happened without my awareness that it, there was going to be a protest. But I happened to be nearby, and I was sympathetic. And so I joined it, and I was coming down the street with the protest, and the cop uh, hit me with a, with a baton. Knocked me down. So anyway, I, I'm no fan of this stuff. I'm not right. defending it. But that's not what this movement is really about. And even if it is, to the extent that it is what this movement is really about, it doesn't deal with the root cause. We're dealing with a symptom, and it's not a symptom that you can treat in isolation. Well, I had Jocko Willink on the podcast on Monday, and he had a great point. Obviously, Jocko was a Navy SEAL commander and worked with uh, the Navy SEALs to create programs for training. And what he said is that these cops have the, the minimal amount of training. It's a, the tiniest amount of training, and then they send them on the street. He goes, 20% of their time should be spent training. 20%. It should be de-escalation drills, simulation drills, educating them on how to communicate with people in various situations, educating them as how if one cop is in a confrontation with someone, the next cop should step in and say, let's, let's just calm down. Mike, why don't you go, go uh, deal with this over there, and I'm going to handle this. And, uh, sir, let's, let's, uh, let's take this from scratch. Like, let's work, let's work this out. And that having higher qualified police officers, better trained police officers, more well, better compensated police forces so they're not taxed out is really the answer to all this. And these people are, they're, they're, you know, nobody wants to be a cop right now. So who's doing this, right? Who, who's the new generation from now out when, when people sign up to be a police officer, who's going to do this? this it's a, you have a few that are going to answer that call because they feel like it's a, they have a duty. But you're going to have a lot of people that just 
they can't get other jobs. And so they choose that. And maybe they're not the cream of the crop. And so I, that's very bad for people with guns that tell other people what to do. I, I hear two things in what you're saying. And one of them I, I fully agree with. Um, the implication of what you just said is that less funding isn't the solution. If anything, more funding is so that we get be better qualified people. Better and training. We train them, right? We get people who are better suited to the job in the first place and then we train them better so they know what to do. And I agree with that. The part that I'm worried about is that I also – I think I hear you grasping at straws and frankly, they're familiar. I hear everybody grasping at straws here. And what I think is not getting said is that brutal policing is a feature, not a bug, right? This is part of a system that is about something else. And to the extent that I think we can all recognize that there is something absolutely organic about the anger that has caused people to spill into the streets in large numbers – that anger is the result of a process that does not begin with policing. It begins with economic phenomena and political phenomena. And one of the things that spooks me is this movement, in part because it is leaderless and I would argue rudderless, it is not correctly addressing the actual problem. It is lashing out at things that it can see. It's lashing out mm. at anecdotes. But the only solution here, the only proper solution that actually saves the republic is a solution that addresses the core problem. Economic despair, communities that are filled with crime and violence and gangs, and the people that come out of these communities with very little hope, and all the models that they operate under, the, what, what they model themselves on, is what they see around them, which is all this crime. And they, they don't have this sense that there's a very clear path out of this. Well, let's... Um I want to step back to something that will sound too remote to be useful, but I'm sure it isn't. I would claim that this actually goes back to a shift in the Democratic Party during the Clinton administration. During the Clinton administration, the Democratic Party effectively switched. It took up the Republican Party's business model, moving away from defending the interests of common people as its uh, reason for gaining power. And that created a problem. So during the Clinton administration, we saw uh, the end to aid with family, uh, to families with dependent children. We saw NAFTA. We saw basically an abandonment of the core raison d'etre for the Democratic Party. Now, the Republican Party at that point was the party of business. But that doesn't really mean the party of business. What the Republican Party was, was the party of well-established large businesses, which frequently meant, as it was catering to their interests, that it was preventing small businesses from rising up that would threaten its constituents. Now, the Democrats took up this model. They went into influence peddling as well during the Clinton administration, and they became the party of other businesses. So now you have two parties that are basically dealing with competing business interests, vying for power. But what that does is it excludes the interests of regular folks. And so regular folks have been getting the shaft ever since. Nobody is representing their interests. They're getting wise to it. And they're feeling the effects on the street. They are feeling the system is rigged. It's rigged against them. It's not even evenly rigged against them. So, you know, in black communities, there's a perception it's specifically rigged against us. And you know what? It is. But the way it is is very subtle. Right? It's not a matter of racism being ubiquitous you know, inside every white head. It's not like that. It's, this has very little to do with modern racism. But what it has to do with is a property of our system. So you know, um, there's a cybernetic principle 
the purpose of a system is what it does. It means that don't listen to what somebody says that the system is for. Look at what it accomplishes. That's what mm. it's for. And our system basically has two things that it accomplishes. Um, it basically keeps real change from happening. And the reason it keeps real change from happening is because people who are winning in the present system will continue to win if the system continues to do what it does. And they may lose if the system changes and starts doing something else. So it creates what I would argue is a kind of organic conservatism. Those with power don't want change because it threatens them. And the other thing that our system does is it reproduces present uh, patterns of distribution into the future. And what that means is racism that has almost died out is still alive and well in a sense because all you have to do is take people who are born into a neighborhood that is uh, devoid of opportunity and continue that pattern. If no opportunity shows up, then people who were oppressed are now going to continue to be oppressed. And so it feels personal, but it isn't. It's just reproducing an existing pattern. And a lot of that emanates from these communities that have been disenfranchised and economically distraught from slavery. Like literally from that where we're dealing with the echoes of slavery and it doesn't get addressed. And when people do bring it up and they start talking about reparations, people roll their eyes and people go, oh, that was so long ago. But the results of that are still alive today in the South. They're still alive today in many communities that were redlined uh, as recently as the 1960s, right? Uh, that's exactly right. And so it, it, we basically have set ourselves up for a confused response because there is a subtlety. The fact that ancient racism, people who are dead, their racism still haunts us today through mechanisms of the reproduction of patterns of distribution. And mind you, when people hear distribution, they freak out because they think you're talking about wealth. I'm not talking about wealth, and we can talk about why I wouldn't bother, but what we're talking about is opportunity. Opportunity has been hoarded. It has been concentrated in some zip codes and almost totally excluded from other zip codes. And so you're right. The uh, patterns of slavery moved into Jim Crow, and now they've moved into a phase where they are very subtly infused in into our system, and so it is causing people to have the sense that there is an enemy and it is out to get me when it's not exactly an enemy that's out to get you. It's a pattern, right? Mm. It's a pattern that definitely needs to be addressed. And so the natural place would have been the Democratic Party. But the Democratic Party, because it has taken up with big business, is not going to do it, even though it would be a winning political strategy. The Democratic Party is more interested in serving the political, the uh, economic interests of its actual constituents than it is serving the interests of its nominal constituents. And so why are you seeing something that looks uh, like a communist revolution beginning in the streets for the natural reason, which is that people are feeling excluded from, uh, from their share and they are being excluded. But this revolution that is beginning in our streets is no more coherent or desirable than you know, then Maoism, and it's going to be brutal in, in the Maoist way or possibly the way that it unfolded in the French Revolution, or maybe it'll be some, you know, unique version and it'll get its own name. But if we want the republic to survive, we're going to have to prevent this from happening. And because it's a leaderless movement, who do you even talk to? Who do you reason with? Yeah, that's what's fascinating about it, right? 
because it's emerging not just in America, but it's also in England. It's in, it's in all, all parts of the world. People are protesting. And in many ways, I think that's it's probably because, love it or hate it, America sort of takes the cultural lead for the world in a lot of ways uh, when it comes to uh, movements and particularly art and, and, and you know, expression. And I see this leaderless movement and it, it seems so attractive to young people that do feel disenfranchised by the system. So I, I watch them. I mean, I've seen so many videos of these people out there screaming and cheering and chanting and they feel like they're a part of something, right? And they are, right? But what is that thing that they're a part of? Like, what's the end goal? That doesn't seem to have been really clear. Like there's kids out in, uh, they were out in um, Woodland Hills out there chanting, no justice, no peace. And I'm like, okay, what justice are you talking about? Are you talking about George Floyd? Well, that in that case, it seems like that guy's going to go to jail for the rest of his life. And I, I don't know if that's justice or not. That police department has been disbanded. I don't know if that's justice or not. But what is justice and what is peace? It's just a slogan, but they feel good saying it. No justice, no peace. But what I don't know what you're saying. But you feel very passionate about what you're saying. And I, I think if you pulled one of those kids aside and said, what's your message and what are you trying to do? I think a lot of them would have nothing to say. And that's, what's, that's very concerning to me. I'm very concerned about that because it seems like they're very enthusiastic and passionate about an invisible enemy. An, an enemy that they can't, they can't put on a scale. They can't tangibly describe it in a way that I, I understand it completely. It just seems like the structure of things they feel like is is unjust. It is unfortunately a zombified collective fighting a boogeyman that they have invented, which again doesn't mean that their frustration is not about something very real that does require a solution. But to the extent that these people have de-individuated and they've become a true mob and they are pushing policies that make no sense and endanger us all. I mean, there is no neighborhood in the U.S. that is going to be safer for the absence of the police. And it really doesn't even matter how corrupt the police are. The absence of the police is going to create a power vacuum and we're going to get warlords, as we're already seeing in miniature in Seattle, as we already saw at Evergreen. Yeah. So it's not a coherent proposal, but I have a concern that the reason that this is leaderless is that something that I think is unrelated, I really think it's unintentional, but there is something about the way that influence happens in this era that has taken all of the would-be leaders and it has trapped them in the gig economy. And so we have a lot of people who would be in an excellent position to steer this justifiable anger at an enemy that is actually worth attacking, to curb the violence and to make this a, a moment of useful and necessary change, I would argue overdue change. But those people are, instead of being leaders, what they are is influencers. And influencers don't have the kind of power necessary to shape a movement and they don't have the position to negotiate on its behalf. And this is very dangerous. Where do you think this escalates to? Do you have a, a map in your mind of where the territory is? 
Yeah. I mean, I would say there are several ways it could go, but unfortunately, the dynamics look almost unresolvable if somebody does not speak for the movement. And with it being unresolvable, you've got a conflict between rural people and urban people. You have a conflict between um, blacks and those who are self-declared allies. And ally doesn't really mean ally, but uh, foot soldiers on behalf of this movement and people who won't go along with it. And what I'm trying to raise people's awareness of right now is that there's something in us being raised in the U.S. There's something in us that thinks that the great leap forward in China cannot happen here, that what happened in Cambodia cannot happen here, mm. that Nazi Germany cannot happen here. Right. Um, and, you know, the Soviet Union couldn't happen here. I don't know what characteristic it is that people think makes it impossible. I don't think it's impossible. I think if there is a characteristic that makes it unlikely, it is the structure. It is the Constitution, which I would argue is showing its age, but nonetheless, the values that America aspires to, the reason that the world does pay attention to us and still, even with all of our brokenness, allows us to lead it, that reason is that the values that were described were honorable, even if, they, even if we didn't meet them. But what we aspired to be was great. And uh, I, you know, I resent Trump's uh, Make America Great Again because there are populations for whom it has simply never been great. Right? So I, I think that last A in MAGA is just a finger in the eye for people, and it was designed to be. But the structure, what it aspires to be is great, and heading in the direction in which it could be great for everybody is obviously the right thing to do.
would you agree with me in the sentiment that the left has pushed so hard for total control of our society over the last however many years? It's almost to a point where saying 2013 was a different time. Um, would you say that because they pushed so hard, they've created this backlash, and the backlash created caused them to backlash back again, so they doubled down with their ideology, and then they get they lose another argument, they lose another ideological war, they lose another meme war, and they double down, <laughs> and they double down again and again, and they can't seem to meme, they can't seem to argue, they can't seem, they can't, they don't want to have an intellectual discussion, and as an, an interpretation of what you were saying, there is no, there doesn't seem to be any, any, any care of what's right with them. They just want power. They just want, they just want to win. Um, do you, would you agree with the sentiment that they're burning themselves out and creating the mass red pilling of the uh, conservative movement that we see going on? Would you possibly think that maybe they've committed suicide and, and talks like this, people like yourself, Ben Shapiro, and others who talk to people like what, the subjects that we do, the taboo of nowadays, um, possibly that this, this is the answer to defeat the, the leftist stranglehold that's on our okay, society. Okay, so let, we'll untangle some of that. Okay, so first of all, <laughs> well, first of all, the first observation is a really interesting one because you know that things can go out of hand very, very rapidly. Yeah. And the reason they do that is because of positive feedback loops. Now, the thing that Kurzweil talks about is a positive feedback loop. An intelligent machine makes another intelligent machine that makes another intelligent machine. And that's a positive feedback loop, and that can spiral upwards out of control very rapidly. And that's what polarization is. It's like, I tap you, you tap me. I slap you, you punch me. Well, up it goes. Well, I think that's partly why in the New Testament, for example, there's an injunction that says, uh, turn the other cheek, resist not evil. Why? Because otherwise you get into a positive feedback loop and then you better look the hell out. And things can tilt very, very rapidly. I mean, all you have to do, look at what happened in World War I. No one expected that. It was like one, one relatively minor member, I think, of the aristocracy, if I remember correctly, was assassinated in one minor little country. It's like, bang! Everything fell apart. And that's positive feedback loops, right? Mm. And so that's what we're in right now. And, we gotta be, and that's a really chaotic time. And so I would say, maintain self-control and don't aim to win. Aim at peace. Because winning, that's, that's not peace. It's better to aim for peace. You know, I've got this talk coming up on November 11th. I'm quite worried about it because I know there's going to be protesters there and that they've been emboldened by the fact that they shut the talk down before. And I want to make a video, I'll probably do it tomorrow, telling everyone that comes to that meeting to like watch their bloody step and stay out of the gutter. Because you just, we're at, we're at, we're at a point now where under the wrong circumstances, if the wrong person does the wrong thing, that the consequences will be very grave. Now, we can't predict which action is going to precipitate that, and, or even if that will happen. But it's chaotic enough so that it could happen. So, you know, so govern yourselves accordingly. Now, the problem is, is that there are people who would be happy if there was blood running in the street. They're the same sort of people that shoot up high schools or kill innocent, you know, elementary school kids 
just to show what they're made of and what they believe. And that's a big problem, but for the rest of us, like hopefully calmer heads can prevail. And so it really is important not to win. It, it's like fighting with your wife. You don't win. You can't, because you have to live with her. You can't win. But maybe you can solve the problem and bring about peace. And so you've got to practice doing that. Practice restraint. Now, and remember, too, that these the people that you're talking about who are radical leftists, is most of the time they're not. Like they're 95% like you. And if you pull them out of the mob, they're just like your, your neighbor's 19-year-old kid who's kind of clueless and rebellious, right? And who you might even like. You put them in the mob, it's a whole different thing. And so you've you got to remember that too. Out of fear of social isolation. It's kind of how they're acting out, you're saying. No, it's just that they're possessed by these ideas, but, but only partially. You know, they're, they're, you hardly find a full-blooded, absolutely committed, radical leftist activist. You know, like mm -hmm. there are some, but not very many. Most of it is just fragmentary behavior. And you have to remember that. Like when the students come out to protest me, was a case particularly at McMaster. I have to remember, these kids, they're not much different than my kids. They are when they're in a stupid mob behind a hammer and sickle flag. You know, but, but, but you don't want to make a low-resolution, homogenous representation of them. And so, and so you, that's why, again, I think, instead of winning, you turn to your own development. You turn to your own development. You, do what you can to stop doing the things that you're doing that aren't good. Because you're not going to hurt anybody if you do that. All you're going to do is help. And otherwise, you'll participate in this polarization. And that's, unless you want that, and you know, there's a dark part of people that, it's part of the part that voted for Trump, would like to burn things to the ground. It's like, to hell, I know how people felt when they went into the voting booth. It was like, Hillary, Hillary, to hell with it, Trump. You know, and that's a, that's a hell of a thing to say to hell with it, you know. Although I could, I could certainly understand that sentiment. So, we have to be careful. And all of you people who are here, who are advocates of free speech, and who are theoretically happy to come hear me speak, it's like, I really do believe it. I truly believe this. And this is something I learned in part from Solzhenitsyn and in part from Jung, is that the way that you set the world straight is by constraining the malevolence in your own heart. And that's no joke, man. That's no easy thing. And that's a good voyage for people to go on if they want something difficult and worthwhile to do. So. Thank you very much.